uh, my, this series, actually we're ending the entire series on thinking bigger and better. I actually thought we were going to go longer and do other parts, but the Lord has showed me that he is finished. So this Sunday, the last installment of thinking bigger and better, the whole series, the actual sermon title is thinking bigger and better about yourself. So um, this is like maybe what, part four or something? Part four, part five, one of the two. So we're going to do a, a review, quick review um, for those who've been in and out. And we are encouraging you to take notes. Um, and uh, let's, let's go. So thinking bigger and better about yourself is the title of these parts. So the first sermon, part one, we talked about when you think. So point one is when you think bigger and better about yourself, you know what you can do. And we looked at Psalm 18:29, when David said, by you I can run against a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. And we focus on the word of I can. And we told you that you need to look at what you can do and not what you can't do. The devil will let you focus on what you can't do, you need to focus on what you can do. Amen? Praise God. All right? And then we looked at Joshua and Caleb, Numbers 13, 30 to 33. And we talked about how they also thought bigger and better about themselves and they also knew what they could do. They said, we can go in and possess the land. We are well able. The other 10 spies said we can't, and they didn't. But 40 years later, when it was time to go in, Jacob and Caleb did not die like the rest of the people, and they went in and they possessed the land with Moses and the younger generation. Amen? So I want to encourage you, be very careful about your words, because your words can be cutting you off from your inheritance. The other scripture that we looked at was Numbers 14, 6 to 9. This is again about Joshua and Caleb. The first one is, jo is Caleb. The next one is, jo is um, Joshua. So that's Numbers 13, 30 to 33, and Numbers 14, 6 to 9. And this is a lesson about faith and entering into what God has for you. All right. The second point we said is when you believe better and bigger and better about yourself, you will value your life. You will value your life. And I ask you to write down this point. When you, when you value your, or the statement, when you value your life, you will attach your worthiness to what you want. When you value your life, you attach your worthiness to, you want, to what you want. One of the ways that you're going to celebrate and accelerate, this is how you have um, celebration and acceleration, you have to see yourself as worthy. Now, there's a lot of grace teaching out there, which is very good getting people out of the law and works. But one of the things that I don't agree with and I don't like in some of the grace teaching out there is that they define grace as unmerited and undeserved favor. That is just the definition that some translator made. That's not what the word grace means. The word grace does mean favor. That's all it means. It comes from the um, Hebrew word charis, or Greek word is charis, um, the Hebrew word is chesed, um, or hesed, um, and it means favor. That's it. People translate added unmerited and undeserved favor. Now, the reality is it is unmerited in terms of you didn't necessarily earn it, but God gave it to you freely. That is a new covenant revelation of grace, but deserve it is a totally different thing. The Bible says we are worthy of the things that God has given us because we are his children and he's made us worthy. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So be very careful 
of definitions that don't line up with what the word says. The word must define itself. I don't care who's teaching, I don't care how big their church is, I don't care how popular they are. If it's not aligned with the word, throw it away. Amen. Because a lot of popular people that are teaching non-covenant things, non-biblical things, that's causing people not to receive from their father. Praise God. So you got to see yourself as what? Worthy. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So somebody say, I'm worthy, I'm worthy to, receive to receive everything God has for me. Has and then the Holy Spirit gave me two people for us to look at. One was Rahab, and the other one was a Canaanite woman that encountered Jesus. And they both thought bigger and better about themselves, and they saw themselves worthy. They valued their lives. Rahab valued her life. So when Israel was about to come and tear up Jericho, she says, listen, I'm going to help you guys out, you spies, because the king wants you. I ain't going to expose you, but you got to, you know, you got to do something for me. Save me, my mother, my father, and everybody. And now she's a prostitute, but she said, save me. They said, all right, if you keep your mouth shut, your family keep their mouth shut, and you bring your family to your house, we'll make sure that you guys are saved. Just put that red cord out your window, and we'll know, don't touch you. And um, we talked about the fact that even though she was a prostitute, even though she was a lady of the night, she still valued her life to the point where she says, I want to live, I want my family to live, let's make a deal. <laughs> Amazing. And then the Canaanite woman, Jesus told her unequivocally, I'm not here for you. You're a half-breed. I'm not here for no Canaanites. I'm here for the lost children of the house of Israel. This healing, healing, this ministry of healing is their bread. It's not for the Gentiles right now. She says, okay, that's cool, whatever, but even the dogs, because he called her a little dog, <laughs> See, even the dogs eat the crumbs of the master's table. Jesus said, yo, that's amazing. And even though something was not legally right for her to have, her own sense of worthiness got her her healing for her daughter. He said, I, he said yo, your faith is great. He says, be unto you as you desire. And the Bible says her daughter was healed from that very hour. She said her daughter was severely demon-possessed. So it was a severe case. It wasn't like, oh, my daughter just wilding out a little bit. <laughs> you know, she's like turning her neck like poltergeist. <laughs> this is, those of you who are old to know about poltergeist. You know, she, she, she's doing some crazy stuff that you see in the movies. Then another gospel said, he said, for this saying, your daughter's free. So be unto you according to your desire and for what you said. And we talked about one Sunday how desire and saying go hand in hand to bring you manifestation. What you desire and what you say will bring you what? Manifestation. Everybody say it. I know the world's big on saying manifesting. So now church want to say more manifesting. Stop letting the world steal all, your, all of our words and be afraid of saying it. Don't be afraid of saying the word manifest, manifesting because everybody else in the world is manifesting, you know, according to just um, new age principles. The reality is they're using biblical principles. They're not giving the glory to God. But don't be that person who throws the baby out with the bathwater. You got to say, I'm manifesting too. I'm manifesting better than you. Let me give you an example. You ready? Man, I'm ready to teach. I can feel that anointing hit me just now. 
When Moses was told by God, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> and he said, who I say send me? He said, I am that I am. And he gave him supernatural powers. Gave him that rod. He said, matter of fact, put your, your, your hand in your thing. Came out, it was leprosy. He said, put it back in. It was healed. He said, yo, you got mad power, bro. He said, all right, good. Now, this is the Ebonics version, okay? So you go to Exodus, you won't see what I'm saying. This is the Ebonics version. Anyway, so he went, and Moses threw his staff down and turned to a snake. And guess what? The king had Pharaoh. The reason why Egypt was so strong, he had occultic powers. He wasn't just some great guy. See, Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great, like Avi told me, he's, he's, he's in the Bible. You think he conquered so much on his own? No, that's occultic powers. So the, so the Pharaoh said, okay, I got my guys. So the magicians come out, these sorcerers come out, they throw their rod down, and it turns into a snake. Okay, Moses, so what's all that? Exactly. So you know what happened, right? Moses' snake ate those snakes. So we know there's occultic powers out there. We know there's lying signs and wonders. But our power is greater. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So don't be impressed. So that shows you. So why did I bring that out? Because just because the world can do something doesn't mean that you run from what you can do. So so should God not have used the snake because those magicians can do snake stuff? Oh, that's that's that we can't. No, no, no. Just what we're doing is greater. Amen. And we give all the glory to him. Amen. So we're manifesting. Amen. Amen. Manifesting our dreams, manifesting our desires. And we give the glory to God. Amen. We ain't saying I pray to the universe, which is the stupidest thing somebody could say. I heard Monique say that on her interview with Shay Shay. I pray to the universe. How is an innate universe answering your prayer? You sound dumb. Anybody who says that, I just want to smack them. So the moon is saying, yes, I heard you. The stars are saying, yes, I, I hear thee. Be it granted unto you. Come on. Just use your doggone head sometimes. Even if you're not saved, don't just be stupid. Like in the 1930s and 40s, even people who weren't saved could say, glory to God. God did it. No, I was saying, oh, I pray to the universe. Just stop. Dumb. So we, we're supposed to be so smart in the 21st century, and we're so dumb sometimes. I'm not a man. And please, don't have, don't have sympathy for your friends who let demons talk to them. Oh, you know, sometimes, you know, you never, they feel they were born. I don't care what they think they were born. It's demons speaking in their ears. The same demons that give kids nightmares, the same demons telling them you're a boy when they're a girl. Or you're a girl when you're a boy. Hello? Confusion. And sometimes it's passing down the bloodline because some parent was dumb and got into their cult or did some stupid things. Don't have sympathy for that. It's an abomination unto the Lord. It's the devil's way of doing what we call jihad on culture, what the Muslims call cultural jihad. You guys know what cultural jihad is? Anybody know what cultural jihad is? Does anybody know? You know. Okay, so just because only Pastor Patrick knows, I'm going to tell you. Cultural jihad is when we're not going to take over the country or infiltrate the country by bombing you because we know they'll make you hate us. Cultural jihad is when we inf infiltrate your culture and take over your nation. 
So we become your teachers, your doctors, your lawyers. We have a lot of children. And then we overtake the community. That's cultural jihad. So a lot of Muslims have also been sent to do that in different nations. They did it in, in Europe. They're doing it now in America. They do it all over. You, do you understand that this is actually a method that God gave the Jews? So you notice everywhere they go, they're in power. So they took a, 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 a thing out of the textbook of the Jews. So what do they do is ask your question, is this thing that's so popular God or is it the devil? Don't just believe it because it's popular. You understand what I'm saying? Because if not, we're going to have a culture jacked up. Praise God. Somebody, somebody said, okay, so let me give you another thing. So somebody said, um, let's just review, and we're going to go to one point, and that's it. We're going to actually, I'm going to tell you what the Lord should, said to do. But anyway, so you have this thing where people have been abused by their parents. That is a fact. Abuse by the parent doesn't mean that you still shouldn't discipline your kids. Am I right? Yeah, you don't throw the baby out with the what? With the bathwater. So just because your parent or some parent you know went crazy and should be in jail doesn't mean that you don't need to discipline your kids. Now, people are going to debate, oh, should you hit the kid? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. It doesn't say spit a rod, spoil a child. It doesn't say that. That's not in the Bible. So please do not be a winner's church member saying that. I told you that before. The Bible says he who spares a rod hates his child. That's what the Bible says. Now, every kid doesn't need a beating. Some kids you can just talk to and that'll be it. But some kids do need a pop pop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you should be popping them at a certain age. If your parenting is done right, they should respond to your words. Amen? Amen. Praise God. That's how you. So you don't not discipline your kids because your parents or some parent you know was abusive. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because then you have a generation of kids who are disrespectful and dishonorable. You see what I'm saying? Praise God. And so the same thing with the New Age principles. Don't be afraid because some New Age is saying, I'm manifesting to say, oh, I'm manifesting. This year you say, I'm manifesting. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Not demons, my desires. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. So that, and then we went into um, the fact that the Rahab and the Canaanite woman, the Lord brought up the next week, that they were outsiders. They both were Canaanites. And the Lord showed, was showing us that even if you are an outsider, someone born on the wrong side of the tracks, you wasn't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you still can get what you want if you believe that you're worthy of it. Amen. 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 Do you believe that you're worthy? Somebody say, believe that. Somebody say, I'm worthy. Now remember, the Canaanite woman, she legally, spiritually was not supposed to get that healing. She still asked for it and desired it and claimed it for herself. So you live in a society will say that certain things are not yours. You still got to desire it and claim it. The world system will tell you, you are middle class and you are to only make up to $100,000. Maybe 110, maybe 120, maybe 150, but that's as far as you're going to go based on your career. 
You, you got to go beyond your community, beyond the culture, beyond the world system that says what you cannot have. Have you ever looked online at a penthouse that's worth $25 million? Surely, if you have developed and worthiness, you're going to say, I can never have that. But, but, you, did you, but you have to ask yourself the question, who says I can't have that? The person who does have it, why do they have it? Are they special? Are they more special than me? Are they smarter than me? No, they're just doing different things than you. Now, I know about the old money, so that means that their ancestors set them up. But there's a whole bunch of new money. Right here in New York City, too. Hello, somebody. There's always been old money. And there will always be new money. The question is, will you be the new money? If your parents didn't set you up with the old money, okay, that's their problem. They made a mistake, and they could have, and they should have. But are you going to be the new money? Amen. Are you going to be um, that person who always says, must be nice? <laughs> that's a black American thing. Any other culture does that? Must, it must be nice. That's the idea, like, yeah, they got it. I don't. They will always have it. I won't. My God. You got to change that and say, no, 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 I'm worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus. And don't let religious people teach you otherwise. Oh, be content with what you got. Yeah, the Bible says be content and say, I can't have more. Hello? Don't let one scripture mess your whole life up. That's why this is a great church. Because I know the Bible. <laughs> I'm telling you, we have a great church, man. We was with Samantha for her birthday, me and Patrick, and Pastor Fabian, and me and Patrick going at it with the scriptures. He thought he was right about something. I was like, no, you're wrong. This is what the Bible says. I was killing him, dodging him everywhere. Bro. I just questioned. You questioned? No, you was challenging me. Don't try it. No, don't, don't. What's he challenging me? Okay, you questioned it, but was he challenging me? Yes or no, in your opinion? He was asking questions. <laughs> yo, y'all are scared. My God, was he challenging me? Was your husband challenging me? He, I think he was stating factual stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this church is crazy. He wasn't challenging me disrespectfully, but guess what? This is my son in the faith. If he didn't get to this place, I didn't do my job right. The word is in him. That's why fathers should never be intimidated by their sons. When their sons start challenging them, that means you did your job right. If there's something ever challenging you, that means you're a lousy dad. That's good, that's good. That means you, you made them subservient to you. When children challenge you, that means that they're strong. There's a strength coming out of them. They're emerging as eagles for themselves. So he thinks for himself. He's very submitted. He, he is literally the most submitted man in this church to me. Even the Lord showed me one day, now I'm not talking about him, that I want to judge you according to what you do with him. Because he's so submitted to you, I'm going to judge you on that. He has allowed himself, he's put his, himself in your hands, and however you want him to be, he's going to be. So I'm going to judge you for that. This is the most submitted man. But in being submitted, he's not weak. He has his own mind, his own thoughts. About, right, Pastor Patrick? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, don't cry. I know. <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. Why well, didn't bring that out? I don't remember now. So you mess around, you get out the spirit. <laughs> so even if you're an outsider, you have to say, no matter what, how I was born, whatever my upbringing was, I'm still worthy of what I want. When I was younger, <laughs> my mother's here today. My grandmother, my mother's a police officer early. I was telling about this this week. I think I was telling you guys, you Pastor Patrick and Fappy, and um, Pastor Samantha, we met this week. And I said my grandmother used to hate my big mind. And my grandmother loved us, but she was of another generation. So I said, oh, my mother's rich. I remember one time I said that, she was enraged. We're not rich, we're poor. <laughs> no, we were nowhere near poor. But she hated the fact that my mind was so, I used to give all the stuff away. People come over, feed them, whatever. She says, you'd give the whole house away if, if, if it wasn't attached. <laughs> my girl used to say that. And then we all know this one. Money don't grow on trees. Anybody heard that one? Yes, yes, yes. That's all a mentality that she was taught in her generation. You cannot take that if you're going to manifest and have greater. You're not. You got to think bigger. You got to think better. Sometimes you got to think bigger and better than the generation before you. Amen. They may have meant well, but they're not aligned with the covenant. Amen. Isn't that what David did when he fought Goliath? His brothers were Hebrews too, right? Was King Saul a Hebrew? Did they, not, did, did, did they not know the same covenant that David knew? So why is David, a 70-year-old, quoting the covenant, but the king who's Hebrew is not? The king who has seen God give them victory is not. David's older brothers are not quoting the covenant. None of the military guys who know how to fight, these guys were not just some like soft guys. They weren't like some soft American soldier. Not the American soldiers are soft, but you know what I mean? These guys were real barbaric warriors and they were afraid of the 11 foot giant because they forgot the covenant and they were focused on what they were seeing and not what God said. And that's the same trick that happens every generation. People are focused on what they're seeing and not what God said. Praise God. I had a really bad problem with my knee. Again, this left knee. The prophet who spoke over my right knee has it's been great ever since I believed and stood and whatever. So this knee, I don't know. And then I told Patrick, oh, I want to kind of crack it. Now, I remember I went to John before. John said, you got to be careful. But I had him twist it. He, you know how strong he is. It made it a thousand times worse. I said, oh, my God. I said, I'm going to the gym. He went. He left. I went to the gym. I could barely walk. I was like this. <laughs> I was like this. Oh my God, it was so embarrassing. I told him, I don't think I'm gonna be able to preach. I said, just be prepared. But I said, you know what? No, let me believe God. So I sat in the presence of God. What you gotta do? I sat in the presence of God because it was like getting worse. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. What am I gonna do? I said, I, 
I said, said the person, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning sometime. The whole day I was like, oh, God, I believe you, I believe you. But then I said, nah, we're going we're gonna to settle this now. But I said in the presence of God, I focused on the Father and the Son. And I said, I said, this is the throne of grace. And I said, I must be healed. This is what you said. I've laid hands on myself. I've declared there has to be a manifestation. I mean, I was serious as all get out. And I could tell you no lie, in the presence of the living God, it started getting better at that moment. And every moment after that, it got better. I actually had a brace on. I had a brace. I felt God said, put the brace on. I had a brace. Still wasn't that great. Took the brace off. Today, guys, it's like 95% good. I said, I'm not going to no doctor. You are my doctor. I don't have health insurance. You are my health insurance. And a knife will not touch this body. And now I'm walking good. He saw how I was walking. Glory to God. Glory to God. So I say, stand your grounds. Get what you want, get what you need. Colossians 1.12, that's the scripture for you to look at about your worthiness according to the new covenant. Then we looked at point three. Point three, when you think bigger and better about yourself, you take life more seriously. So you value your life. Now this is point three. You take your life more seriously. And we looked at the word serious. And it means demanding careful consideration application. I think we looked at Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Paul says, walk circumspectly, which means accurately, exactly, and diligently. Not as fools, not as what? Not as what? Ask yourself every month, am I being a fool this year? Or am I being wise? Now, people don't like to hear that. I'm sorry. That's what the Bible teaches. Read Proverbs. Fool, 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 fool everywhere if you're not wise. The opposite of darkness is what? The opposite of being wise is what? Fool. I don't care if you have a degree. I don't care if you've been to college. I don't care if you have a PhD. If you don't operate in wisdom, you are a fool. Hello? I don't care if you're 70. If you don't do what the Bible says, you are a fool. I ain't no fool. What does the Bible says? You're a fool. <laughs> I'm just saying. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Remember, Paul is writing to adults. He's not writing to little kids in Sunday school. Grown people, grown men. Don't be a fool. Redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, one translation says, because the days are evil. You're living in a very evil world. A time when people are wasting time. People are doing dumb things. You just look at the social media and know what's going on. God says, don't be like the rest of the world. Use your time wisely. Yes. Amen? Yes. And verse 17 says, therefore, do not be unwise. Once again, don't be a fool. But understand what the will of the Lord is. If you are living your life and you don't know what God's will for you is, you are wonderful. A wonderful fool. <laughs> Yes, because you made his image and likeness. You are wonderful. You're beautiful. You're great. But you're a fool. You should know what God's will is by the time you reach your 20s. Because you're an adult now. You should know even before then. How do we know? Because Jesus, when he was 12, 
he was starting his ministry, he was asking questions. And he had understanding of what was said to him. And when his parents looked for him, because he let them, there was a big feast and they went ahead of him, big entourage, they was like, where's this guy? And he was back in the temple talking to the adults. And he, he says to his mom, he says, where have you been? We're looking for you. He said, mom, don't you know I must be about my father's business? He had a relationship with his father and he understood what God's will was for him. Though he wasn't even operating until he got 30. I knew I was going to be a pastor at 14. Not 24, what? 14. So at 24, I could start pastoring. When I went to Bible school, there was a whole bunch of kids. They don't know what they was there for. I'm like, why are you coming to Bible school? If you know why you're here. Oh, because mom and dad sent you to fix your behavior. So I throw you in Bible school. Well, you have nothing else to do, so you go to Bible school. No, I went to Bible school because God said go to Bible school and go to this one. My people don't know, I was part of another church. I was going to go to another school. That's funny, I was going to be in, in, in Oklahoma too, called Mid-America Bible College, another part of Oklahoma. And then I got to the Word of Faith, and God said, no, you're going to Kenneth Hagin School. And I only make a misstep when he said go right after high school. And I, I said, no, nah. people was telling me, oh, you're so smart. Go to college. So I went to Queens College. I hated it. I left after the first semester. And I said, I'm going to work, save money, and I'm going to Bible school afterwards. And that's what I did. Because I knew what the will of the Lord was at 14. 14. 14. Your kids should know what God's will is for them young, whether it's ministry or not. They should know at a young age what they're called to do. Not what they want to do, what they're called to do. And parents, one of the things you need to do, and I'm teaching a lot of different things, man. <laughs> what you need to do is tell your kids you're not here to do anything you want to do. Don't tell them that. What's that song from Nas or Jay-Z? I can be what I want to be. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Don't tell your kids, you can be the president of the United States. No, they can't. If they're not destined, they will never be. They will never be the president of the United States if God has not destined them to be that. Because leaders of nations, the Bible says God has control of that. He allows a leader to rise up and he brings one down if he needs to. You tell your kid is you are to be what God has called you to be. And that's what we're going to focus on. You don't decide, you discover. He decides, you discover. Tell your children that. Well, I want them to make money. Are you crazy? Is life about making money? I know people who became a lawyer and they hated being a lawyer. And to this day, they really don't like what they're doing. Do you want your kid living like that? At 40, 45, and 50? Please, don't be dumb. Tell your kid you don't decide, he decides, you discover, and you will live a fulfilled life. And, and when you're in the will of God, the, the, the level of money you can make is unlimited because you can't stay poor in his will unless you choose to. The Bible says, whoever humbles themselves, they get more what? Grace. So you see a lot of people struggling? They're struggling because they're not in grace. They haven't humbled themselves. They're doing what they want to do. 
Some of them even hate it. Uh, I, I'm doing it, but I don't like it, but you know, this, this makes money. Guys, there's so much other things that makes money. The Bible says that God promised to do this, to keep you busy with the joy of your heart. If it doesn't bring you joy, it's not God's will for you. Ah, oh, but I got so many bills. Yo, forget the bills, cut your lifestyle, do what you got to do, go do whatever you got to do, but get in the middle of God's will. I don't care if you have to go to a homeless shelter, get in the middle of God's will for your life. Seriously. People don't know that I made this heart commitment. I don't care if I have to sleep on a park bench. I will not leave Tulsa, Oklahoma until I graduate from Rama. And I was dead serious. Fulfill God's will for your life. Whatever it is. Go where you have to go. If God says go to Bible school, you don't need to be in New York. I remember there was a woman, she was a Nigerian woman, shout out to Nigerians, amazing people. And she was going to our church, she liked the word I was teaching. And I remember teaching this message on destiny. And um, after I taught that message, she never came back to the church. And she came to me after the service and was telling me that she feels like she's, that she's not even supposed to be here. And I said, very straight, then go back. She never came back to the church. Her sister kept, kept coming for a little bit, but she never came back. And I knew why. Because she was challenged with God's will for her life. Don't be that person. Because you not coming back is not changing God's mind. <laughs> because you're not listening to Pastor Maurice about destiny, not changing God's mind. One day your life will end, you'll see Jesus, and he'll be like. <laughs> Hello. Lay for yourself treasures. So you get to heaven, you have an abundance of rewards. Amen. Not a neck turn from Jesus. <laughs> it's very serious. But she never came back. I'll never forget that. As I said, well, she was crying and everything. Crying is not going to change God's will, honey. I don't care how much pain. Okay, you got pain. You messed up. You missed it. Get back in his will. We were going to start a church in Brooklyn. Man, all my ambition. Yo, we try a church in Brooklyn. Finally, the Lord said, this ain't it. I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he said, you're going to go forward. I ain't going to be with you. I ain't going to be. I said, Okay. All embarrassment. Okay, we stop. That really wasn't that embarrassed, actually. Thank God we didn't go too far. I, mean, I had this dream. No, the dream you dream with your own thoughts. It wasn't my will. Then there was a member who used to go to our church. She said to me, I knew this wasn't the will of God. She says, Why? I said, Why? How did you know? She said, Because I knew it wasn't birthed in the spirit, it was just something you wanted to do. And she was correct. Make sure the things you do or the things you're doing now is something that's been birthed in the spirit. And the Bible talks about that in the book of Galatians. Things that are born of the flesh, things that are born of the spirit. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac. The son of promise, the son of the flesh. What you wanted to do. You trying to help God out. In, in your life, is your career, your job at Ishmael or is it an Isaac? 
The Bible says, Isaac, God's going to make you laugh. Are you laughing or are you frustrated and crying and stressed out? Which, what are you doing that's bringing you joy? Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. First Peter 5, 8 talks about be sober, be vigilant. Soberness means be serious. Talk about taking your life seriously. Listen. Because your adversary, the, the devil, walks about like a royal lion seeking whom he may devour. Adversary, devour, we talked about that. Devour means to gulp down. And then I told you that we're seeking um, last time that it means to go, to, to, to stand to the side, and to watch. So that's what happened with Jesus, the temptation. The devil tempted him. The Bible says the devil left. He fled. But he, he went to the side. And he was looking at Jesus and everything. See, anywhere he can catch him. That same method is used today for you. There's demons watching you. They've been assigned to watch you. Watch Maurice. Watch Samantha. See if he can get her. Try to get her. He'll use family members. He'll use friends. He'll use work situations. He'll use circumstances. He'll use anything. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, to get you. Your allegiance has to be so strong to Jesus that you'll let anybody go if you know they're being used by the devil or you'll be willing to rebuke them. Because Satan wasn't sure what was totally going on. Remember, people think Satan knows everything. He doesn't. So remember, Jesus said, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And they say, oh, they say you this, you say this, da, 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 da. He said, disciples, well, who do you say that I am? Peter, big mouth, jumps up, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. <laughs> and those kids are like, me, 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 me. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, oh, all right. The flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. You can't get that unless God told you that. And he says, and you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Powerful. I always tell you, the Catholics got it right on that one. The church, the evangelical said, oh, he can't be saying that, that's, that he's going to build his church on Peter. He's gonna be, he, well, I had, even one instructor at Bible school said, when he said, um, uh, upon this rock, he's pointing to himself, I will build my church. That's not what the Bible teaches. He says, your assignment, I'm calling you Peter, a rock. Upon this rock, upon you, this stone, I will build my church. That's why he said, when you are converted, what? Strengthen your brothers. That's why when the day of Pentecost came, who was the first one that got up to preach? Peter. And how many people got saved? 3,000. Come on, somebody. If you read the first part of Acts, who's the highlight of the first part of Acts before Paul comes in? Peter. Sit and go have a Rise up and walk. They laid out all the sick people in the street. Peter walked by, shadow. Yo, get up, get up, get up, get up. Everybody getting healed. Powerful. Yeah. Woo, come on now. But he go down, a few verses. Jesus said, I'm going to die, y'all. Get ready. Peter grabs him, takes him to the side. and said, Jesus, you're not going to die. Jesus said, Satan. He didn't go and pray. <laughs> He looked Peter in the face and said, Satan, get behind me. 
For you savor the things of men and not of God. First, I'm dealing with Satan that's motivating you. Now I'm dealing with your flesh. You're attached to me. I understand. But don't you dare try to interrupt my destiny. You rebuked him. Can you rebuke people who are trying to interrupt your destiny? Can you put your flesh down and say, flesh, come down. Pride, come down. Ego, come down. You will do the will of God. Come on, somebody. The Bible says that Jesus became our perfect sacrifice and the captain of our salvation through the things he suffered. Now, we don't preach about suffering a lot in Winter Church. But I told one guy, called to the ministry, a young man that used to go to our church, I said, in order for you to fulfill God's will, you have to be willing to be poor. If you're not, you're not going to do it. And he's working on getting back to where he needs to be. But the devil knocked him out the box because you have to be willing to go all the way to the bottom. Jesus went all the way to the bottom, literally. He went to hell. And the Bible says now he has been highly exalted. God wants to know if you will go to the bottom for him. You know why I'm where I'm at today? Because I'm willing to go to the bottom. And God knows that I am. I was willing back then. I'm still willing now. Paul said this, this made him a great apostle. He says, I don't hold my life dear to myself. Not that he didn't think his life was precious because we should. But in other words, I'm not so into me that I can't do his will. His will will always put you on top. Hello, somebody. Always. If God says, I want you to uh, give up everything. Give up the whole church. I will. One day, I was, everybody knows I love going to California. Uh, hang on, California. <laughs> I was in California one year, and I was like going out there, oh, this is so beautiful. Oh, I love California. And the Lord said something to my heart. What if I told you to come here? I, I said, no. My heart just closed. Because <laughs> I was actually re- relishing in California, and he came, got me at the right time. What if I said, move here? My heart closed. I said, I, I said, God said, uh-uh. I said, oh. And I opened my heart right back. Whatever you want. That was years ago. Years ago. You have to be willing. I was thinking, I want to be older. I'm going to leave my friends, family members, my church. No, 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 no. You don't belong to no one first but me. And everybody has to come to that place. Married, unmarried, old or young. You belong to nobody first but him. Hello? I had some debates with some Pastor Ernst. He's, he's got on my side now. What about husband and wife stuff? I said, okay. What? What, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? Did your husband give birth to you? And I said, we were talking about some things. I said, if your husband is going to stand with you at the judgment seat of Christ, then you're right. But if your husband won't be there, then you're wrong, Ernst. He was like, oh, oh, okay. 
had to tell him a few times before he got it. If your husband can say, well, Lord, I'm the one who decided this for her, and this is why she did this, and why she didn't obey you, ba 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 ba, and then that gentleman can go on him, beautiful. I, I agree with everything you're saying. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that every man by themselves will give an account to Christ. Your children, you, your spouse, everybody. Don't make a difference who you are. There ain't going to be nobody standing there. Sorry, Ariel, Niger won't be there. <laughs> Sorry, Karina, Ingrid won't be there. Mama ain't going to be there. Sorry, Christopher. Pastor Fabian won't be there. She'll see you after the meeting. <laughs> Pastor Patrick won't be there. Oh, my, 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 my dad. I don't care about your dad, your mom. I gave you life. They raised you. You became an adult. And you knew what to do. You chose my will. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm no Christian to choose the will of God, but let's say he did it. You chose another way. You must give an account. Whoa, Holy Ghost is going deep today. All right, Lord. It's your people, your word. Y'all get it? The last point we did, I had six points. The Lord told me this morning while I was praying in tongues, you're not going to do the last two points. We're going to focus on that last point, and that's the end of the series. And then he told me what the next series is, just like that. The Lord showed me, see why it's easy? Because you've been following exactly what I told you to do. He already told me, I thought it was going to be something else. I thought we were going to continue. He said, no, you're finished, and this is the next series. Do you want to know what the next series is? Yeah. I'll tell you later. <laughs> when you think bigger and better about yourself, you will master the moment. Remember that? Write this down. I told you to write this down. Mastering the moment is not merely showing up. I've defined it as releasing your expertise into an experience. So at a foundational level, you have to have some kind of skill, expertise, or know-how. And then we talked about, and we looked at one story about Jesus mastered the moment in Mark 9, 14 to 29. Remember that? The, the kid who was paralyzed. And the Bible says that the father brought the kid to his disciples, but they could not do anything. Why did the father bring it to them? Because they had a reputation of casting out demons, healing the sick, because Jesus gave them that power and authority. We see that in Luke 10 and Luke 9. But what happened? Because they came to Jesus afterwards. They said, why couldn't we? First Jesus says, Oh, my goodness. How long must I be with you? Oh, faithless generation. Faithless means unbelieving generation. They should have known the answer right there. So his father says privately after the whole thing was over, he healed the kid, blah, 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 blah. They said, why can't we cast it out? One translation says, because this kind, this kind of demon does not come out by, by prayer and fasting. That's part of the answer. Another gospel says, because of your unbelief. How be it this kind does not come by come out by prayer and fasting. So there's two things. You didn't believe in the authority I gave you and you weren't in a place spiritually to deal with this kind of demon. Simple. People have complicated things. It's very simple. Jesus, Jesus never complicated nothing. It's very simple. Believe in the authority I gave you and next time you need to be doing some more prayer and fasting.
when I was a teenager, one of my Nigerian friends uh, told me a story when they were in Nigeria, how this young man, I think he was a teenager, a young adult, maybe a teenager, maybe a young adult, I'm not sure. The Lord told him, uh, fast today, don't eat. Okay, obey the Lord, fasted. He ended up going, you know, through town, whatever, to a friend's house. When he went to the friend's house, is I think the girl's brother or sister, I think it was the brother, he was demon possessed. And the girl was like, oh my God, my brother's demon possessed. Uh, you know. So this young man or teenager said, okay, don't worry about it. Went to the room. The demon possessed kid was like in the corner, uh, acting crazy. He said, Satan, come out of him. Instantly set free. The kid who got free said, when you came in, I saw a bright light. And then you said what you said and the demon came out. That's why God told him to fast. He didn't know that he was going to come to his friend's house and she's going to cry out that her brother's demon possessed. Sometimes God will tell you to fast and you don't know why. But it's to set somebody free. Because when you're going to encounter in the future, learn to obey him without knowing all the facts. Ooh, come on, that's a good one. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, learned to obey him without knowing all the facts. He may say, go down the block. I'm like, well, I'm going down the block because he knows there's a mass murderer right there that's gonna take a sword and kill some people. He's causing you to avoid it. I remember, uh, I said the story to before, Pastor Bernard of CCC, when he moved to Long Island, his kids were still living with him, and they want to go play some basketball. And he says, in my spirit, I feel you guys shouldn't go to the basketball court today. They said, okay, dad, no problem. We're not going to go. Later on that day, they found out from their friends, there was a shootout right on that court. At the time, they were going to be there. Pastor Dean, when I was younger and I went to his church in Bronx, he told this story, how he was about to come out of his parking space and go down the hill. And the Lord said, stop, sit here for a few minutes. He said, okay, Lord, don't know why, I will sit. He sat, then he moved his car like three or four minutes later, went down the thing. Where he would have been, had he not waited, this car that went right through the light would have crashed. He probably would have been dead. Right through. All kind of evils out there. The way you win is by listening. Amen. Kenneth Copeland asked this question. Whenever there's tragedy, he said, who wasn't listening to the Lord? That's, that's what he wants to know. Who wasn't listening? A great Bible teacher by the name of Rick Renner. You can look him up. He teaches the Bible. He's in Russia. The Lord told him to go to Russia. He's there. Okay, fine. I was in a minister's conference. And he talked about the importance of being led by the Spirit as a believer and even as a minister. Because it could cost you your life. So he said that um, he'd been ministering. So... He had this whole vacation plan. They've been planning it for months to Thailand. And it was going to be him, his wife, his kids, and I think his mother-in-law. You know, just a group of people. And he was praying, and he said he could feel in the spirit, don't go, don't go. Two weeks before, he said, oh my God, everybody's going to be upset. Don't go, don't go. He said, guys, I'm sorry. I know the voice of God. He didn't hear Words, he just knew in the spirit, don't go. 
We're not going. We'll have to do it some other time. But the Lord said, don't go. I don't know why. We're not going. The very island he was going to be on, when that tsunami came, literally swept the whole island into the sea. Him and his entire family would have been dead. It wasn't like, okay, little things happened. No, the whole place was swept out. Obey the Lord. You'll be saving your life, yourself a lot of problems. And the more dangerous you get to the devil, the more you have to listen. So I said, oh, that's why I don't want to be spiritual. Because <laughs> I don't want to be dangerous to the devil because I don't want him to get me. Well, honey, he's going to get you anyway. He's going to get you anyway. So you might as well be a threat and walk in the spirit than be a little victim where he's just smacking you up all the time. Punch him back. You know those people, you know, the bully just be smacking them up. You ain't going to do nothing. Bah, 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 bah. No, don't do that. Be, be a lion in the spirit. So the devil will be like, yeah, you're walking about like a roaring lion. I am a lion. Come on, somebody. Like that saying goes, I am the hurricane. Tell the devil, you ain't nobody. I'm the hurricane. I'm raining on your parade. You don't rain on my parade. Praise God. You have to get that mentality, because if you don't, the devil's going to come for you. Anyway, I did all that preaching, all that review, to get to this one story. Because <laughs> the Lord said, I want you to focus again on mastering the moment. So Jesus mastered the moment. One of the things you notice in this story with the paralytic, he was calm, he was cool, and he was collected. Whenever you master a moment, you have to be calm, you have to be cool, you have to be collected. Whenever you get your emotions outraged and you're yelling and screaming and you're worried and you're stressful, that means you're not mastering the moment. The moment is mastering you. You're going to have a lot of points where you need to master the moment. Make sure you do so. And, I don't, and, and, and you make sure that you have internal. Some people have internal stress. They'll be like, yeah, yo, I'm not worried about nothing. I'm good. That's how you have to be. Like I told you, you guys know, I don't worry about nothing, right? Anybody knows me, right, John? I don't worry about nothing. It can look as bad as all get out. I'm like, whatever. One time, I told you this, like, yo, my money was going mad low. And I was like, yo, I said, you know what? I ain't worried about this. I've been tithing and giving like crazy. I told the Lord, I'm going to see what you're going to do. <laughs> Talking like I'm a tithe. I'm going to see what you're going to do. I, I, I just look like that. I'm going to see what you're going to do. I said, okay, good. And he did. <laughs> so I just dropped some money on me just like that. I'm like, glory to God. You can only challenge God like that when you've been doing righteously. When you've been giving. When you've obeyed him. Because if you make a mistake, even if you overspend because you've obeyed him for so long, you have history of obeying him with your money, you'll be like, yo, hook him up, man. Am I right? Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him? Come on, somebody. How much more? Somebody shout hallelujah. I feel to say this, and then we'll go to the story. If you're having a hard time in some situation, check out your obedience. Mm -hmm. 
you could be, be it could be the devil or it could be God resisting you because you're disobeying him. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If there's something going wrong, check out you. He's never wrong. By the way, let me tell you something else that's going to help you. I'm just throwing mad knowledge out today. You want to you always be safe until the day you die, until you go see Jesus? This is what you do. I think about the Lord. I said, Lord, let me, let me think. Let, let's talk. You know, I walked to my house sometimes thinking, how did the devil try to get me off? Because he really can never get me to deny you. So, but, but why do I feel so sure of that? I know it's about your grace, but why do I feel so sure? He said, because you've settled something in your heart that I'm never wrong. and I'm never to be blamed. Kenneth Hagin taught you that. So you want to never be seduced by spirits? All come to a conclusion right now in your life, today, that God is never to be blamed and he never does anything bad. Never. So if I don't pray if I answer it, it ain't him, it's you. Something's moving slow, it ain't him, it's you. He may tell you, wait, be more patient. He may tell you, well, you need to straighten this out before I can do this, like Kenneth Hagin. Lord, I'm serving you. I'm preaching. I'm out here doing, my, doing what you told me to do. But my kids are not eating good. My kids are not clothed well. He fasted for three days. He said, Lord, what's the problem? The Lord said, because that, and he brought a verse to the Lord. If you're willing and obedient, you should eat the good of the land. I'm not eating the good of the land. These are my kids. The Lord said, because you don't qualify. He said, look at the verse. This is willing and obedient. You're obedient, but you're not willing. So you don't qualify for the verse. You trying to bring my word to me? Let me bring it to you, son. He didn't say that. I'm just adding that. Perfect. He said, I got willing in seconds. He said, everything turned around. Isn't that what the Lord told the prophet? You're looking at the outward. I see the heart. Don't come to God with your outward and think he don't see your heart. He sees your heart first. He told Kenneth Hagin, Jesus told Kenneth Hagin, he said, I actually judge sins of the heart quicker than sins of the flesh. So you see somebody fornicating, you think I'm going to knock them down. I'm going to get them. Because God says he was just a fornicating adulterer. But I judge the unforgiving heart first. I forgive, I, I judge the heart that's bitter more, quicker. So make sure your heart is clean, guys. Yeah, bow your head right now. <laughs> make sure your heart is clean. Amen. I don't have no unforgiveness, no bitterness in my heart. I'm good. I wake up happy every day. People just bother me sometimes, but I wake up happy every day. Every day I wake up happy. I'm good. I don't let nothing, even the devil tries to, yo, the devil has brought some crazy stuff to me about people, family and friends. Oh, they're like this. You should hate them. You shouldn't like them. Look at this friend. Look at this family member. Look at that. Yo, he has, <laughs> I know you think that I'm sometimes mean and I go a little crazy. The way the devil has brought accusations, I would be super bitter, super mean. You ain't even like me. I say, devil, please leave me alone, bro. Not please, just leave me alone. I don't receive that. 
That is factual, but it doesn't matter. I am who I am, and that's that. I don't care about what they're doing. I care about what I'm doing. And then a little demon ghost. <laughs> because the devil will accuse us to each other. Amen. Make sure you're wiser than wiser than 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 someone who would fall for his tricks. He accuses married couples to each other. Parents and children, friends, siblings. He's a mastermind at dividing. And I said, Satan, I see you. Now I bind that spirit of division in the name of Jesus. I bind strife. The Bible says in the King James Version, where there's strife, there's every what? Evil work. Okay, let's get to the story. <laughs> Last 10 minutes, I'm getting to the story. First Samuel 20. That was a great review, right? Ooh. <laughs> First Samuel 25. The story of David and Nabal, or David and Abigail. Anybody know that story? Raise your hand if you know that story. All right. I preached a little bit before. But this is the backdrop. David has been anointed king. Saul is super jealous of him. And, and David runs for his life. And Saul is after him. Verse chapter 24, David has a, is hiding in a cave with his men. He got his whole, whole bunch of men. They, they call him his master's servants. So people that used to serve Saul said, nah, bro, you ain't the king no more. Yahweh said he is, so we bounce it. Even though you're still the king in position, you ain't the king of the spirit. Bye-bye. <laughs> and they all follow David. First of all, he can fight better than you anyway. And he's the anointed king, so we're good. The prophet, has a, the prophet Samuel has confirmed that he's the one. You're still in that position because you want to be, but he's the one. You're done. We're alone. We're gone. So he has these 600 men. They call them mighty men of valor who followed him. Among that 600, he had what they call David's mighty men. 33, I believe it is, who <sighs> furious fighters. Matter of fact, <laughs> the Bible gave them levels. And said so there was even, there was great ones who were so great, they were mighty, but they didn't even Team to three of them. I mean, like these guys were like, they were better than anything you've seen on Netflix. Super spies, super warriors, super assassins. Put it that way. That's the best way to describe them. So deals with these guys. They found David everywhere. Now remember, these people, these men have families, wives and children. They're with David. They're hiding out, these men are hiding out in this cave. With David, but says in the recesses of the cave, way, way back. Saul's after him because he heard, oh, he's over here. So Saul had to go to the bathroom to do number two. He's not doing number one. If you read the story, you realize he's doing number two. He ain't just doing a 30-second pee. He's actually doing number two. They said to relieve him, to, to take care of his needs. That's what the New King James says. And his, yeah, remember, he can't see them, but they can see him. I love that. And his God say, we got him. David said, I know, but we ain't going to do nothing. He's the Lord's anointed. We will not touch him. They're like, what? He will not touch him. But David said, let me just be a little, you know, funny. And he gets his robe and takes a piece. So I was thinking about it. If David, because if, I'm thinking about how we do. We still have our clothes on. We just pull them down. We go to the bathroom. Evidently, he took the robe off and put it somewhere where part of it can be hidden, and David cut a piece off. 
And then Saul just finishes his stuff, puts his robe back on. I always wonder, okay, what kind of toilet paper they had? But whatever. So, <laughs> whatever. And so um, he goes out the cave, and as he goes some distance, then David comes out and says, Hey, Saul. And he shows them, I took a piece of your thing. And he talk, they have a conversation. He said, I could have taken your life, but I didn't. And Saul says, you're right, you got me. I've done evil to you, you've not done evil to me. And, he's, and, and, and he recognizes the Lord is with him. But he was so proud, he still held on to the position. I'm going to tell you something about that in a minute. So that passes. And now David and his guys, they're like mad hungry. They're like, yo, we they're like bandits right now. <laughs> you know, what's the word for people who, fugitives. They're fugitives in Israel. But they're going around. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows that, yo, he's anointed king, but he on the run. Yo, this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that there's no social media, there was no newspapers, there was no television, but news spread like wildfire. I'm like, doggone it. Gossip gonna get out no matter what. Oh yeah, we heard about you. Like, how did you hear Ain't nobody? Somebody came on a horse and told the whole town? Yo, it's crazy. The power of the word of mouth. Anyway, so he comes to this, to this um, house of this rich guy named Nabal. Nabal was a baller and a shot caller. Bible says he was very rich. 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. That would mean nothing to you, but in the times, that made him a very rich man. So today he would be a multimillionaire. He had servants, he had food, he had everything. So David said, listen, we just need some food. We're like, starving, man. And uh, Nabal knows who he is. First glance, you think, he doesn't know who he is. He knows who he is. He says, like, who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? He knows who he is. He says, yo, bro, you're not the king, but you're on the run. Why should I even listen to you? I don't care nothing about you and your men. No, you ain't getting nothing. And he says, but we, like, protected your guys, your sharers. We could have just raided them. We did none of that. Can you just, like, be nice to us, show us kindness? Nah, bro, we ain't doing nothing for you. Scootaloo, because David sent a servant to, he said, tell you, go, 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 bye, bye, bye. Now David is not an American. He's a Hebrew from thousands of years ago. We see sweet David worshiping the Lord, but he was barbaric too. He was like, what? You know what I'm You just embarrass this uh, future king in front of all of his warriors. These are not just guys, you know, um, watching, you know, chefs cooking. These are real barbaric warriors. They're looking at like, how are you going to respond, bro? Because you want to be our king. We're going to still follow you. You better respond accordingly. And David said, everybody, get your stuff. We're gone. We're, we're, we're about to kill this whole house. All the men are dying today. And he said, if I don't kill them, let God do it to me. He said, every male will be slaughtered. And then, you know, there's a little nosy worker that knows everything's going on and runs back to Abigail. Hey, this is what happened. She says, oh, my God. She's, you know, wife of the rich man. Yo, get those bread, 
get these raisins, get this food, get these drinks, get it. And go ahead of me, I'm coming. So they get that spin together, they go ahead of her, she gets there, the Bible says David's on his way to come slaughter the whole house because he's pissed. And the Bible says she bows down, she falls down in honor to the future king, in honor to this warrior who could slaughter the whole house. And she says, please don't do it. My husband is a fool. Here's bad, put it on me. And I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm giving you all of this stuff. You are a great king man. David hears her whole argument, and he's like, all right. He's kind of cute. So, all right. He said, because, and he, and he emphasized it. He said, because I want to tell you, I really was going to do it. This wasn't play play. I was going to slaughter everybody. And we would have take, taken everything. But because, he said, first of all, you're smart to do what you did. Because you did this, I'm going to spare the whole, your whole thing. We got our food. We good. He said, I respect your, I like how you ended. And I respect your person. Very powerful statement. I'm not just doing it because you bowed to me and you, you know, gave me homage. No, he said, the kind of woman you are, I respect you as a person. We're good. He bounces. She goes back. Yo, Nabal, I just saved the whole house. The Bible says she tells him everything that she did. And this fool, somebody say fool. It's funny, David said, blessed be the Lord that he sent you to me. He's like, praise God you came, because I was about to go off. So watch this. He said, go and peace your house. I've heeded your voice and respect to your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal. This is verse 36 of chapter 25. And Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. What a dummy. He's about to be killed, and he's having a party. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. Not only was he drunk on wine, he was drunk on his ego. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until the morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Do you know that means he had a root of bitterness and the bitterness just got worse. Some people think like maybe he had a heart attack, a stroke, whatever. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. His own inner, nobody touched him. All she did was like, I rescued you. He was so, he probably was a chauvinist too. My wife saved us. A woman saved us. The Bible says that his heart died within him. Why would your heart die within you if your wife just rescued you? Can somebody tell me? Ego. And it became like a stone, stony heart. Pride come before a fall and the Holy Spirit before destruction. Then it happened after about 10 days, God, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. God was like, yo, I'm done with you too, man. Get out of here. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. Uh-oh, got me a new wife who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal because he saw it as reproach. You embarrassed me in front of my guys. I'm the anointed king. 
and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. Don't do wickedness. It's going to come back on your own head. So why, why am I using this story? Because David, <laughs> thank you, Holy Ghost. David mastered the moment when someone did him wrong and he could have done wrong. He did right. Nabal didn't master the moment. He did wrong, and yet David still did right. But Abigail mastered the moment and got David to do right. The Lord said to tell you, you're going to encounter people who are going to do you wrong. Master that moment and do right. If they curse you, you bless them. If they use you, you pray for them. Come on, somebody. What did you say? If they despitefully use you, what? Pray for them. Does anybody know that scripture? You better start reading Matthew 5. Hello? I know you hate this one. They slap you on one side, turn the other cheek. (laughs) Somebody say, I got one cheek to turn. After that, it's on. All right. He wasn't trying to say be beat up. He was trying to say, you know how people say, you got that. Let people have something sometimes. You ever see in our culture, I'm going to teach you something that's going to help you enter into abundance. You ever see somebody, and the Lord has been training me for years with this now. You ever see New Yorkers that was rushing in front of somebody? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you're on a grocery store, you can see there's only a little bit of items left, and the person wants that, so they rush to get it before you get it. The Lord said, don't ever rush and do that. There's always abundance. When you do that, you're acting like a slave. Don't ever do that. So sometimes you do it because you're a New Yorker. Don't ever rush in front of somebody because you want to get, you want to be the one who got it. No. Or you ever see somebody on the elevator, you're trying to get on the elevator and there's like only one thing left, so you rush into the other person, the Lord said, let them have it. Yeah. You can wait. It ain't going to kill you. Train yourself to act like a king. See, I don't have a father to teach me this, but the Lord, my God, is teaching me. Come on, somebody. Amen. You don't have to be the first to get it. Or, oh, this is only a little bit left. No, no, no. Don't ever be like that. Because you're acting like a slave. Act like a king. Amen? Master the moment. Know that all things are yours. I'm getting mine no matter what. Come on, somebody. You have children who haven't mastered the moment. So you have girls beating up other girls because they're jealous because all the boys like that girl, but they don't like this one. Why are you mad at her? Because she's beautiful. (laughs) Did she make herself beautiful? The fact is you have insecurity. I said, if I ever had a daughter that joined a joined a girl gang that wanted to beat up girls because they were pretty and all the boys liked them and didn't like them, I would beat my daughter. I would beat her with welts, the old school way, because I hate the idea of jealousy. I hate it with a passion. I hate it because I've seen it. I'm sorry that you look busted. I'm sorry the boys don't like you. Take a bath, take care of yourself, and maybe somebody's going to like you. I'll be eating the fried chicken. Somebody's going to like you. And, and if they don't, so what? Who cares? 
Love yourself. Amen. Master the moment. Say, I don't care. It's sad. I told, um, you guys remember, some of you know, Lisa, who's going to our church, and said, when you go to Bible school, because of how you look, a lot of men are going to want you. The black boys, the white boys, they all want you. And people are going to be jealous of you without you doing anything. Everything I said happened. Everything I said. The white boys wanted her, the black boys wanted her. Girls hated her. Bible school. Not high school. Bible school. And one girl came up to her and said, Lisa, I have to apologize to you. Because I didn't like you when you came. I thought you thought you were all that. And I found out that you weren't like that. So she apologized. No, reality is you were insecure about yourself. So when the pretty girl showed up and all the men wanted her, you felt jealous. If you're like that, please get rid of that. Now, listen, I'm not ugly. I know that, but I'm not stupid. I'm not the best looking guy in the whole world. But I've never cared that somebody wanted somebody over me. I don't care. You should never care. I don't know why. I've just never been a jealous person. Never. I just, I'm just not a jealous person. I, just, I think it's dumb. All right? So you got Saul who was jealous. Nabal who was a fool. Didn't know what he had. And Nabal lost everything. So now I got another man with your woman. And you dead. And you know what that means, right? The king got everything he had. Because you know when he dies, everything becomes hers. <laughs> the Bible doesn't indicate there's any children. Everything becomes hers. So guess what? The very thing you try to keep from David, he got. And everything else. So now he's sexing your wife, and you dead. You got to think through the Bible. When you, when you, like, that's how I think when I read the Bible. I'm like, man, he's sexing her, got your stuff too. Damn, son. You should have just gave him everything and said, praise the Lord. You'll still be married. And alive. That jealousy and bitterness will, will rob you of everything. And then the story ends. I'm done. Next chapter. David, Saul says, I ain't going to bother you. I'm going to leave you alone. He still come after him again. Oh, yo, I heard David over here. He said, you sure? He's really crafty, man. Yo, yo, he said he's here. David escapes again. And then David finds out where Saul is, where there, his, him and his guys are resting to try to get David. And David said, like, yo, who's going to go with me and be mischievous? One of his guys says, yo, I'm going to go. Other guys like, yo, we chilling. So David goes with one of his guys. They're like super sneaky. And the Bible says that God even helps him out. So yeah, I want to I be a part of this too. The Bible says that God made a deep sleep fall on King Saul and all his men. And David and King Saul had his staff, his spear. You know that thing he was throwing at everybody? His spear and his jug of water. A jug of water by his head. By his what? Head. Which means that if I come near you, you won't hear me. But the Bible says a deep sleep fell on them. You ain't gonna hear nothing. David got the jug. David got the one. And this guy was like, yo, let me take this, this, this staff and stab him. And he says, I'm gonna do it so good, I won't have to do it twice. That's what the Bible says. And David said, no, he's the Lord's anointed. Leave him alone. God will deal with him. 
Actually, he said one time, either he's going to die from old age, God will deal with him, or he's going to die in battle. One of the three is going to happen. He just took it and ran. Then he called, then the next day, he called out to his armor bearer, who was next to him, and said, yo, bro, look at the staff. <laughs> look at the water. You should die. You didn't protect your men. I could have killed him. I could have killed you. I could have got everybody. He wanted them to feel bad. <laughs> and Saul said, damn, this guy got me. He knows, oh my goodness, he could have killed me a second time. He says, all right, you got it. I'm done. I'm done. Go your way. You got it. David, again, mastered the moment. He didn't let the evil that someone was doing to him control what he did to them. Master every moment of your life and you'll be celebrating and accelerating this entire year. Hallelujah. Come on. You know the saying, what's for me is what? What's for me is what? Is for me. Say it again. Look at your neighbor and say. Tell them, prophesy to them. The throne was for David. It was delayed, but it was not denied. My God. That money is yours. That promotion is yours. The houses is yours. The real estate is yours. Everything is yours. The godly children are yours. You see your kids acting up. Say, Satan, you can't have my kids. They're your heritage. Now, I know they have their own will, but they're still your heritage. This is mine, my gift. You can't have them. That's it. You go old school, Pentecostal. They pled the blood. They fasted and prayed until their children changed. Now we're like, okay, my kid made this. I don't know. They may go to hell. Nah. Old school Pentecostals were like, no, you ain't going nowhere but heaven. Yeah. That's how what's her name was. Nova Hayes, daughter, daughter's on drugs. He was like, I don't care how much drugs she on. I don't care how many demons she got going on. She is going to be saved. Amen. And one day she was in a club or doing drugs, one of the two, and the angel opened the whole roof and looked at her. Scared the devil out of her. That was it. <laughs> True story. Instantly born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, serving God. Okay, I'm good. I'm done. No rehab. No withdrawal symptoms. Amen. Jesus! Okay, I'm saying, that's it, that's it, that's it. God knows how to do it. God knows how to do it. My dad's a Muslim. I've been saying for years, he ain't gonna die and go to hell. He's very proud. Just had an open heart, open heart surgery. I said, God, he can't die. He ain't saved yet. After the surgery, he's running his mouth about me. Like, dude, you just got open heart surgery. Why are you talking to me about me? Talk about you. I'm going to heaven. You're not. But you're a little proud. But I said, God, you know how to get him. God knows the weakest part of every man. He knows how to get you. So your children going crazy, you pray for them. I have a godson who's wilding out. My first godson, wilding I don't want to go into the details. Just walling out, demon, demonized. That's all I got to say. If I search your Instagram, you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. I said, why am I talking about this so much? I don't know. I don't talk to his parents about it no more. I said, let me just pray. I said, 
Today I was going to elevate and say, God, annihilate, destroy, smash his ungodly relationship. Change his mind. Deliver him with a mighty hand. I'm going to keep praying that. There's some other people I'm praying for too. I'm, I'm in like stealth mode. I ain't going to tell them. I'm saying, God, destroy the relationship. Destroy it. Smash it to smithereens. That's what I did on the elevator today. Screaming too like that. It's an abomination unto you. Have relatives into some things that's not godly. Destroy it. Bring it down to nothing. I'm speaking of the bloodline of the Holmes, the Johnsons, the Thomas family. Go through that bloodline like a revival, like a wind, like a mighty wind. The people that came before us didn't do right, but we're going to, I want to do it. Oh, I'll be praying that a lot for the bloodline. Fix it, Lord. Pray for your bloodlines. Don't let demons dominate your bloodlines. Go back a generation that you weren't even part of. Say, fix it, Lord. Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. God's going to do it. You tell your kids. I don't know why I'm on this. Like, I'm done, done, but I went over way over time. Yo, tell your kids. Look at me in the face and say, you're going to serve God. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you tell me. You will serve him. You will not leave this planet until you bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Tell your kid that. Tell your kid that. Say, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You want to speak in tongues? You want to serve God? I don't care what you say. Hallelujah. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you really have a rebellious one, you say this. Either you're going to serve God now or you will die early. But you will still confess Jesus Lord. Amen. Do you want to go to heaven early? No, daddy. All right. Make your kids afraid of your prayers. People are too busy to make them, the kids afraid of them. Make them afraid of your prayers. That when I pray, heaven will answer me. Amen. Oh, you with some guy, some little boy that's ungodly. You think you do? No, 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 no. Your little boyfriend is going to be in trouble. Tell a boyfriend. Tell you, Let's say you have an unsafe, your, your child's an unsaved um, kid. Say, listen, you know, my kid belongs to me. I'm a Christian, and um, you, you're not a Christian. So you're going to get saved, or this, gonna, this ain't going to last. And that's it. You don't have to fight. Say, my, my prayer's going to prevail, and you're going to be gone. You can tell your kid, your friend's going to be gone. I'm, I'm going to be assured of it. I'm going to pray that another person comes and takes their attention away from you. You got to start being bold like that in the spirit. This career you have is not God. It ain't going to work. You're a drug dealer? Watch. You're going to get caught. <laughs> you're going to stop or you're going to get caught. That's it. I'm not going to have my name running around the world being a drug dealer. Come on, somebody. We're talking about mastering the moment. We're talking about taking authority in your own home. About telling your kids what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. Amen. 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 You're going to live right. You're going to live for Jesus. And you're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Some of you guys, I'm going to go into some deep prayer for your kids this week. I'm like, nah, you ain't having none of these kids, devil. I'll bind you in Jesus' name. I don't care what the parents are doing or not doing. I'm telling you. They don't want my authority in my church. You're going to have none of them. 
Amen. Amen. Time to go to war, guys. Amen. Go to war. 